great to be with you this morning. Uh, I would encourage you that if you have a scripture with you, that you open it to John 3.16. I'm just going to read two or three verses, and then we'll pray together. Uh, Reading from John chapter 16, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Father, this morning as we go to a familiar passage, one that millions have memorized and seen, heard preached about or taught on, I would ask you to send your spirit and that he would give us fresh understanding into your love for us and your love for the world so that we might join you in your great mission to bring salvation to those who are lost. Father, we pray these things asking that your spirit would do a work in our hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen. Uh, This morning, I'd like to remind you of the context here. Nicodemus lived in a tough world. And by that, I mean that it was, there was political turmoil. There was religious turmoil. There was difficulty at every hand. You remember that during Nicodemus's time, uh, the Romans had occupied uh, Judea, Jerusalem. There were troops from a foreign world power in the middle of this small nation. There was an apostate nation to the north, Samaria, and within Israel itself, within The people of God, they were splintered into many different political factions and groups. You remember that there were the Sadducees who Jesus said did not believe God's word. There were the Pharisees like Nicodemus who were both political and religious conservatives. There were Essenes who simply left the world to have their own community by themselves. There were Zealots. You remember one of Jesus' disciples was a zealot named Thomas, uh, sorry, Simon. He carried a sword. Uh, That was not for show. Anybody here doing open carry? Okay, good. Well, that's that's who a zealot was. The zealots were open carry dudes, you know, and uh, you also had collaborators. These are people who betrayed their own countrymen by... Uh, taking up taxes for the Romans. And remember, there was one of those of the twelve as well. That's who Levi, who became Matthew, was. He'd been a collaborating tax collector. And so here the religious, uh, the religious face of Israel was divided in many ways. Uh, does any of this sound familiar? Living in turbulent and troubled days. And in the middle of that, Nicodemus is a ruler of God's people, likely sitting on the Sanhedrin and making decisions for the nation. He uh, asks, apparently, and is visited 
by Jesus at night. Um, it may be that he just had a big work schedule, but frequently John is very careful in his use of words and of times, and it may be that Nicodemus simply didn't want to be seen until he knew what Jesus was saying. He didn't want to put his stamp of approval on Christ until he asked some questions. That's a real possibility. And there was some persecution arising for Christ. So for whatever reason, Jesus, uh, just out of tenderness and love for this man, meets him at night. Isn't that remarkable? Uh, He comes, he talks about the kingdom of God. He talks about being born from above or born again. He talks about the coming of the Spirit and the Spirit doing whatever he wants like the wind. He talks about the Son of Man being lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness, speaking of his death and resurrection. And then he explains to Nicodemus what is behind all of that. I really have heard and respected a preacher named John Piper. Dr. Piper says that mission exists because worship does not. And that God wants his worship through the world. I believe that. But here we have a much more remarkable motive. The reason Christ came, the reason that Christ died, may be for worship. But this passage gives us the heart of God. It says that Christ came because he loves the world. That's a very different motive, isn't it? I'm sure they're related. I'm sure Dr. Piper is right. Who am I to correct him? And yet here in this passage, there's a great hope that God loves the world. Now, I want to be clear. If you were to turn in your Bibles back to 1 John chapter 2, let me read verse 15 to you very quickly. Do not love the world nor the things in the world for Anyone, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away. When the Bible says that God loves the world, it's not speaking of this world system living in opposition and rebellion against the kingdom of God. It's speaking of individuals, of people who are trapped within that system, who are trapped in their own sin and separation from God, and saying that God loves individuals and people from every nation, every tribe, every race, every language, every culture, that God loves the world of people. And that Christ came not to condemn them even in their rebellion, but they might have eternal life. What a great message. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. He loved the world so much that he gave up what was precious to him. And you know what what Jesus did. He came. He lived a perfect life. He walked among us fully human. God himself taking on human flesh. And having lived a perfect life, he became a perfect sacrifice 
And so he died on the cross to cover my sins, taking the death that I deserve, that you deserve on himself, paying the price of separation from God. God received that offering as a perfect offering. He allowed it to be a substitute for me. And if I will believe in Christ, if I will place my hope in Him alone rather than anything I can do, if I trust Christ alone, God will not only forgive my sins because of that sacrifice, He will place me in Christ and for my faith count me as righteous and treat me as righteous and adopt me into His family and fill me with His Spirit He will make me his child, as John chapter 1 says in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And it may be this morning you've come and you've been like I grew up, raised in a church, familiar with religion, but have never for yourself said it's not only a great confession, but it's my confession. I need Christ for me. As a matter of fact, uh, you remember, you may know that people have been encouraged to simply put their name in this verse. For God so loved me that he sent his only son. So whether it's Kim or Brianna or George or Mary, God so loved you that he sent his son to reconcile you to him so you could know eternal life. Uh, And this morning I would encourage you to take hold of that and to trust that God has done everything necessary in Christ to reconcile you to God. And that is what Christ is beginning to open up to Nicodemus. That's what he's beginning to unfold because Christ came literally at the crux of history where the Old Testament was, the Old Covenant was passing away, the New Covenant, the New Testament in Christ's blood was coming and they are at this pivot point and Christ sitting with one of the leaders of his nation is explaining, beginning to open up what the meaning of all the change will be. And Nicodemus has no idea of the change that's coming. Christ, in one place in this passage, rebukes him and said, you're a teacher of Israel and don't understand these things? Because Christ taught that these things were all foretold in the Old Testament. Nicodemus should have understood, but he didn't. So Christ, in tenderness, comes to him to explain it. And today, if God is pulling on your heart, it is the Spirit of Christ Himself saying to you, you come. Just as you are, you come. With all your failure, shame, sin, with all your pride, your good gifts, your abilities, you can put them all aside and take hold of Christ alone and He will be for you righteousness, peace, wisdom, and a new life. 
Well, that sounds familiar, I hope, to many of you. And if you've been a Christian for years, I'd like to tell you that Christ also came for you as a believer. That God's desire is for you as someone who's been in church for years, as someone who knows it all, as someone who has studied everything, that Christ's desire is for you today to know the love of God in your heart and that become a motive and a security and encouragement for today's life, for this tough world you and I live in. You know, I, uh, I came to Christ at 18. He very graciously uh, came into my life and changed me from the inside out, and uh, it was like a bomb had gone off in my life. It really was. I, I, I used to tell people I was like a heathen-seeking missile. I went back into my last senior year of high school, and I had a Bible. The reason I'm holding my arm like that was, is it was a big Bible. It wasn't one of these little pocket things. And if you didn't know Jesus, I had a pocket full of four spiritual laws, a large Bible, and I was coming after you. Because God had changed my life and there was some joy and there was some release and there was some peace and there was some forgiveness. And I couldn't imagine people not wanting to hear that. Folks noticed and they said, you know, you ought to go to a, to a uh, liberal arts Christian school. So I did. They said, you ought to teach Bible studies. So I did. They said, you know, maybe you'd like to teach at a Christian school. So I did. They said, maybe you want to go to seminary. So I did. They said, maybe you'd like to start churches. So I did. And schools. So I did. And somewhere along the way, that original joy and peace leaked out of my life. I could remember it. I'd go to a conference and every once in a while I'd get a taste of it again. And as it faded away, I'd go back and review my notes and try and figure out what was happening with me. I want you to know that as a believer, it's God's desire that your heart know His love for you today. And the, and the blood of Christ is sufficient for your new sin. Your new Christian, acceptable, socially uh, okay sins. For your failures, for your disappointments, for your shame, for the things that you hide from other people in order to keep a good appearance. For you as a believer, Christ comes at night to Nicodemus to talk to him personally. And He will do the same with you. He will come to you where you are and plead with you and say, I have done enough for you even as a believer. The same gospel that brought me into the kingdom is the gospel on which I stand today before you forgiven. It's amazing again. Forgiven. Righteous. 
not because of something I have done, but because the free gift of God, loved, included. And after 14 years of ministry, do you know what happened? The gospel changed me again. And I began to learn how to stand in the promises and the presence of Christ, walk in His Spirit in a way that helped me hang on to the love of God for me, flawed, failing, and disappointing as I can be. And do you know what that was to me? It was good news again. And it can be good news to you. By the way, that renewal of the gospel in your heart today is the power for the mission of God through you to the world. It's not just a program, though those are good. It's not just a collection, though we take those. It's not just letters and committees. It's it's the love of God for you that overflows your life and it moves you into the world personally, that moves you into the world here, and it moves you into the world around the globe. Why? Because God loves you, and as this passage so clearly says, it's not just about you. God loves you, and God loves the world, and equips you and calls you to join your Savior to take the message of God's love throughout this town, throughout this nation, and around this globe. The motive for the mission of God is the love of God, the love of God for the world, the love of God in the believer's hearts. The, the mission of God is all about His love for the world. And when you experience that, you join it and become an ambassador, a, a carrier. You know, what happened in my life uh, as I began to take hold of this, is that there was a shift, and you know it started changing me again. I made a list. It was an ugly list. I'm going to read it to you. That was about the most controlling and angry pastor you've ever met. Now, because I'm a southerner, I could do that, and nobody know it. But, you know, after talking to me and smiling and nodding, they'd leave and say, you know, that kind of felt a little weird. Was he, was he okay with me? Because there was stuff going on in my heart. I was controlling, angry, actually afraid. Afraid I wouldn't measure up. Afraid I didn't do it right. And as I began to trust God, not only when I was 18, but trust God's love for me today. That desire to control was replaced by the expectation and faith that God was working in me and in others. And that was something I could share. Being imperfect, I still had a Savior who could talk about that. So being angry, I became free to trust God with my life. Instead being tentative and overly careful, I began to, to pray 
and to expect God to do something instead of being self-protective. I became more honest and open. Because, you see, people didn't need a perfect Josiah. Do you know what they needed? They needed my Savior. And seeing me struggle and seeing that I had problems, that I had a place to take them, was part of the witness of God in my life. So there was a new openness. There was... Of freedom from guilt and condemnation that had kind of piled up. I even began to believe I wasn't perfect. My wife was so relieved. Another thing that all that new freedom did is to make me open to take a risk. You know, Americans... We are risk-averse. The night that I heard God's call on my life into mission, I'll tell you what the preacher said. He said, the only risk Americans take these days is on paper and in the stock market or in business. We have car insurance, health insurance, house insurance, fire insurance, right? Retirement plans, investment portfolios. He said, I'd like you to take a risk. I'd like you to put aside this world, not be irresponsible, but to step out and to do something for faith, for Christ. My friend Jack Miller used to say, risk, not rust. And maybe there's some here today that need to hear that message. You know, part of what Nicodemus learned at that crux in history was that everything was about to change. In my life, that happened when I took hold of it. Everything was about to change for Nicodemus' life. In the Old Testament, there was one place to go to make a sacrifice. There was one language. That was Hebrew. There was one tribe of priests. There was one high priest generationally. There was one way to dress. Everybody wore the same clothes, right? You had to have the prayer shawl with the blue thread. There was one diet. There was only one way to eat. And with the coming of Christ, what had been one tribe, one nation, became every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue, and the way of reaching people changed rather than people coming and seeing. Now, Jesus says in John 20, verse 21, even as the Father sent me, so I send you. Now, instead of people coming to the one place, we go everywhere.
rather than them putting their our culture on themselves so that they can hear the Word of God, which is what happened in the Old Testament. The New Testament is very different. Paul says, to the Jew I became as a Jew, to the Greek I became as a Greek. I became all things to all people so that by any means I might win some. Do you see the difference between come and join my culture and my place and me taking that burden on myself, the church taking the message of God, the mission of God on itself and saying it is our responsibility to become like them, not morally, but with their language, their customs, to invade that territory with the gospel of Jesus Christ because the call today is not simply to stay. The call today is to go. That may be tomorrow at work. It may be down the road. You know, the church is so funny. It divides up the mission of God into strategies. Let me give you an example. I work in Jerusalem. Not me. I work in Judea. Well, our work is in Samaria. Well, our work is to the uttermost parts of the world as if it was an or. It's an and to every one of us. Said Christ, Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and the uttermost part. One mission shared by all the church together to reach all people. Now, I know we we can't do everything. But to oppose those is to miss the call of God. He has one mission. And when you read the New Testament, you should keep in mind that as Paul spoke, he spoke back into the church as a cross-cultural missionary. Why is that important? Because his voice peeled away all the cultural additions to the church to say the gospel clearly to them. Just as Jesus sits down with Nicodemus and peels away the familiar and the expected and says to him, you have to start over. You must be born of God. The Spirit will do a work in your life I will die for your sins, and if you will trust me, everything you expected in religion of the old times will move away for God to do something new. Now, we're not at that crux. And then again, we are. Because that same decision comes to you. Will you today believe the love of God for you right where you are? You're going to need help. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He needs to press that into your heart so that you believe today that God loves you and that he calls you into his great mission, his mission that loves the world, his mission that sacrifices for the world. His mission that gives and blesses people that don't deserve it, that welcomes them, that comes along beside them. What a calling. Let me read the verse again. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your mission the mission that you have assigned is to take the love of Christ throughout the world. And Father, we need to to have that in our own hearts this morning. And so we ask that you would convince us afresh that Christ died for the world, and that includes me. And Father, that you would convince us afresh, even as your people, that Christ did enough to make us his voice, to walk with him in mission throughout the world so that many may come to know him. Lord, we pray these things asking for your help and your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.